Okay, and the story begins. We're in the middle of chapter 31, page 355. This is a good chapter. I, th I, I found it to be a, a kind of difficult, intricate, but you know, the more the more we study it, the more it, uh, you know things click together. The more meaning we make of it. Just to recap where we left off last week, the Altirebbe asserted that when it comes to somber emotions, they're not necessarily negative emotions, or negative emotions are not necessarily bad emotions. He said that there is depression. Um, depression, feelings in the literal sense of the word, feelings that are depressive, and there's bitterness. And while there is a fine line between the two, there is a big difference. A depressive feeling is hindering. A feeling of bitterness, Murray Root, is motivating. And the, the the reason why we got into these um, two types of feelings is because we spoke a great deal about humbling ourselves. Because we're trying to address desensitization. Sometimes we feel desensitized in our relationships. In our relationship with God, in our relationship with fellows. Our, we don't feel our soul. Right? Conceptually... Judaism is a great thing, I, and good for somebody else who wants to do that. It's great. I honor that. Emotionally, though, we're having a hard time connecting. And while I understand there's a Torah, I understand there's a God, I understand there's a Jewish, large Jewish community that I'm part of something bigger, I get it. But I don't care. I'm apathetic. And I, I pointed this out pointed this out earlier, but I think this is incredible that the Alter Rebbe in his Tanya is addressing this issue because it's such a relevant issue. This issue that Hasidim of the Shtetl were experiencing is the same issue that we often experience. And the Alter Rebbe basically said we're we've become desensitized. We need to humble ourselves to become more receptive, right? It's that log, it's not catching on fire. It has to become more receptive. It has to be splintered a little bit. We developed some, we're on guard. We have some sort of, we, we become desensitized. We follow our lusts. We're involved in things that we shouldn't always be in and we become a little bit more thick skinned. Um, and, and this is just a human condition. You live, we live in this human world that's just the name of the game. So the al said, we have to humble ourselves. And we learned about six meditations, which we can reflect on to humble ourselves. Five of them were in chapter 29. The last of them, the sixth one was in chapter 30, about humbling ourselves in, in, in front of people, not just in front of God. And then last week in the beginning of chapter 31, we said, what happens if I humble myself? The result should be, now I'm more receptive to my soul. But before I get to that point, 
feeling may be quite somber. It may not evoke a positive feeling right away. It may take time. So the Alter Rebbe says, over here we need to understand, is this depression or is it marirut? Atzvut, depression, is it a depressive feeling or is it a bittering feeling? Is it a hindering, is the somberness hindering me? Is the somberness motivating me? The Alter Rebbe also said, if we are experiencing depressive feelings, great opportunity to transform it into a bittering feeling, into something motivating rather than something hindering. And we concluded last week with a meditation. Meditating on the fact that, yes, I may be distant from God. Yes, I may be desensitized. Yes, I may be driven toward things I should not necessarily be driven toward. But beyond all of that, I have a soul. Right? We gave the, the, the story with the, the Tsar's soldier. Tsar Nikolaev's soldier in Tsarist Russia hundreds of years ago. He sneaks away from the... the um, Sneaks away from the march to get a quick dunk in the river. He wanted to clean off. The czar came by surprise. He comes out and he's stark naked. The czar says imprisonment or whatever punishment he wanted to offer him. Not wearing your uniform, wearing your birthday uniform instead of your, your uh, military uniform. So he says your honor, your majesty, whatever language they used back then. Who is serving you, my clothing or myself? He says, yourself. He says, I'm here. My clothing may not be here, but it's me that's serving you. And it's the same in our relationship with God. Yes, our clothing may be dirty. Yes, our clothing, quote unquote, may be inappropriate. But there's ourselves. There's our raw selves. And we're trying to develop sensitivity toward that. Once we reflect on this meditation, we can orient ourselves or reorient ourselves, realign ourselves with the proper behavior being involved in Torah and mitzvahs. So we can actually connect with God, not just feel passionate about him. Totally realign ourselves. We not only feel God, we're actually embracing him physically through our observances. Okay, that's where we left off. Based on this, on, chapter, on page 355, this uh, right in the middle, smack in the middle, and this approach to worship is characterized by saying teshuva and good deeds. Pirkei Avot, the ethical um, portion of the Talmud, mentions the concept of teshuva, returning, repentance, and good deeds. And the way the Al-Tradepa interprets it is these are not two different things. These are actually one and the same because Teshuvah, returning, motivates good deeds, motivates action. When we've, this meditation that we've provided, realizing that although my clothing are dirty, there's me. And trying to become in touch with that, that's the essence of what Teshuvah is. We mentioned in the past that there's two levels of teshuva: the higher level, the lower level of teshuva, the higher level of teshuva. The lower level of teshuva is repenting over a specific sin. I've done this and this. I have to regret it. I have to get it out of the way because that sin is obstructing me from my relationship. But then there's the higher level of teshuva, where it's not about the sin anymore. I need to return to God. I need to simply be turned. 
It's a joyous experience. This level of teshuva is a joyous experience. Um, in general, teshuva is associated with joy. Um, especially in Hasidic culture, uh, from a Hasidic perspective, teshuva has always been joyous. This higher level of teshuva, because it's not focused on what I've done wrong, it's focused on where I want to go. The lower level of teshuva is focused on what I've done wrong. What I've done to obstruct my relationship with God. The higher level of teshuva is focused on where I want to connect to, or whom I want to connect, with whom I want to connect. With God. It's a very joyous experience. Um, the Rebbe writes and uh, mentions in one of his talks that Teshuvah is a mitzvah, like any other mitzvah. It's one of the 613 commandments. And every mitzvah has to be done with joy, including Teshuvah. Returning to God has to be done with joy. I, put on, I have the opportunity to put on tefillin, to connect with God. We do that with joy. I have the opportunity to learn Torah. I have the opportunity to give charity. Right? Judaism demands that we serve God with joy. Teshuvah is one of those mitzvahs. We do it with joy. This is a joyous experience. Re-identifying with my soul. Connecting to my roots. Accessing a very deep and intimate relationship with God. And realigning my behavior with that new self that I've developed is very, what's the word? It, it, there's something satisfying about that. A lot of tension is released, is relieved. Released or relieved? I can say relieved. We've, we've, we've relieved a lot of inner tension just by doing teshuvah. Just by remembering who we are and reminding ourselves who we are through this meditation. The analogy that he gives, <clears throat> here's what he says. Um, let's go again to the bottom of 355. This ought to be your lifelong task. This level of teshuva is not something we do once. It's something we aspire to. It's something we always work on. It's done with great joy, the joy of the soul and its release from a disgraceful body. Now I look at myself not as a body, as human utter, uh, human lusts, but there's a deeper part of me. Returning to, it, it, it's the soul returning to her father's house as in her youth. Um, this is through Torah study. This is through worship. This is through taking what, this passion that we've realigned and investing it in a practical observance. Just like in any um, intimate relationship, um, it's not enough just to be passionate. You have to be passionate about something. That passion has to actually lead to something, to some sort of behavior. Um, and and it's, just, it's no different with our relationship with God. And the analogy that he gives is you have the prince who's been taken captive, sits in prison, is put to work, um, to do work that is beneath the prince's dignity. And some at some point, the prince is rescued and returns to the king. Imagine the joy the, that the king is experiencing. And it's no different with our souls. 
Our soul before it came down into our body was in a very comfortable place. Very comfortable. It was in its element. It comes down into our bodies. It comes down into our world. And now it is schlepped to places where it doesn't want to be. It's schlepped um, in an environment where it's uncomfortable. It slept into thinking things that it shouldn't really be thinking about, doing things it shouldn't be doing, saying, eating, drinking, doing things it just doesn't want to be a part of. It's uncomfortable. And when we finally returned it to God by doing a mitzvah, imagine that release of tension. Imagine what God might must, must feel, the pleasure God must feel, but imagine what our souls must feel like. Imagine how good we'll feel. Any thoughts, comments? Controversy. Now, one might think that, wait a minute, I've, okay, I've done this high level of teshuvah, this moment of inspiration, where I've really found myself I'm at peace with myself. I really know who I am deep down inside as a Jew. And I'm ready to invest that passion by embracing God with a mitzvah or um, internalizing God with some Torah, emotionally connecting to God with prayer. I'm ready for it. Now we might ask ourselves, wait a minute. Is that how real is that? I'm faking it. Maybe this is not, maybe this is just a momentous experience. Maybe this is not the real me. Because at the end of the day, my animal soul is still there. Right? We're on the highlight of Yom Kippur, Na'ila. We've been fasting the entire day. We've been praying the entire day. It's the climax. We know that feeling. There's a certain energy. I use Na'ila as an example because that's. I don't know. I feel like there's a specific, there's a certain high that we get at that moment. The moment where we cry out the Shema Yisrael. And we got to wonder to ourselves, where am I going to be tomorrow <laughs> at this time? My animal soul is still going to be pretty much present. And perhaps more relevant and evasive than ever. So how real is this inspiration? Perhaps it's just a fleeting experience and it's not the real me. And the Altar Rebbe says, you know what, you're right. The experience is still real. And he addresses this um, on the top of 357. The big, bold paragraph on the top of 357. The, the, the big, bold English paragraph on, on 357. Even though the body remains repulsive and disgraceful, nothing's changed. I just happen to be inspired, right? As it says in the Zohar's reference to the body as the serpent's skin. Since even in a Bainani, the animal's soul's deep core has not been transformed to good, right? We're not a tzaddik, even though we're inspired. Our body, our animal soul is very much relevant and present, very much influent, uh, very influential still, which would enable it 
right. Um, it has not been transformed to good, which would enable it to be incorporated into holiness. Nevertheless, yes, our animal soul, our regular human drive is very strong. But nevertheless, focus instead on your divine soul and let it be precious in your eyes. Be joyous in your ability to redeem her and let that joy mean more to you than the concern over the disgusting body. So that the joy of your soul will be your primary focus and you will not allow it to be compromised and confused by the sad state of the body. So is this experience real? Yes, the experience is real. Now, wait a minute. My animal soul is still very strong. Okay. But that's not what you have to focus on. Focus. You decide who you want to be. Your animal soul is very strong. Your divine soul is very strong. So... It could be your divine soul has not transformed your animal soul. But that, why does that have to be the focus? There's two parts of me. Right? Why does that have to be the focus? I'll give you two analogies just to, to express this idea. I really liked these analogies. I, I saw them on a commentary on this chapter. Analogy number one. Imagine you have an only child. Somebody has an only child and, and he gets married. And because he's getting married this, and it's your only child and you've been waiting his entire life for this, this is going to be the event of the century. You find the most beautiful hotel with the most beautiful banquet hall, the best of caterers, the best party planners, the best florists, everything. And you put up this wedding. It's a joyous evening. At the same time, this is expensive. <laughs> this could cost $100,000 with the amount of guests you're inviting with the hotel um, hall, with the caterer, with the florists, with the band, with the bar. This is expensive. You have a choice. Am I enjoying the wedding because my son is getting married? Or am I focused on the big debt that I'm in because I just slapped down $100,000? Now, I might be inspired by the wedding. That doesn't mean the debt's going away. But what am I choosing to focus on? The same with our own selves. Yes, the animal soul is there. Yes, it's strong. Yes, it's influential. Yes, it's going to compel me to do things I don't want to do. But that doesn't have to be my focus right now. Why can't I focus on the inspiration? On the divine soul? meaning and purpose in life. Another analogy. Um, imagine a simple person, perhaps who is poverty stricken, and for whatever reason, the king wants to dwell with him, wants to lodge in his home for the evening. He's so excited. And he, on the other hand, his house is less than simple. He doesn't have the most elegant conditions in which to house the king. But at the end of the day, he gets to house the king. So what's he going to focus on? On the fact that he doesn't have the, the, um, the most elegant of accommodations, which is true. Or is he going to focus on the fact that he gets to house the king? What are we going to focus on? 
our accommodations for our soul, our body, our animal soul, our human drives are not elegant spiritually. That's true, but why does that have to be our focus? Why can't we just focus on the fact that we get to house God in ourselves, in our souls? Make sense? This is kind of, I mean, it, it, it really, it's funny. It's a simple concept, but it's a profound concept. Basically, the Al-Tadeb is telling us, the author of Tatanya is telling us, what are you going to focus on? That's your choice. We call this in contemporary psychology, cognitively when we um, cognitively restructure. Basically, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm feeling a certain way because I'm thinking a certain way. So here's the solution. Think differently. <laughs> Reframe. You know, what's interesting is the, in uh, uh, <clears throat> either of those analogies, I, I, I can see myself um, uh, wanting to focus on the positive uh, at that particular time, but, but have creeping thoughts uh, that, that just flutter into your mind and you have to like shove them out of the way again. Know, um, you know, just almost, you know, it's, it's that constant struggle. It, it's it's hard to think like you could completely shut it out for you know, the, for even an evening, depending upon what it is. Um, but it's it, it's I see more of a, of a tug of war really uh, on 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 that. Right. We almost we sabotage ourselves almost on purpose, it seems like, even though we don't want to. Yeah. But it's just, you know, it means when I think of sabotage, I think like, well, I lost the war. I sabotaged it and I, and I lost, whereas it doesn't necessarily in that way. It's just you're, you, you can envision where you're constantly having to like, you know, uh, stop thinking about that. Okay. You know, now go back to what I'm supposed to be thinking about. And then it kind of slowly comes back, ah, you know, <laughs> right. That's the healthy way to do it. The unhealthy way to do it would be to get into dialogue with these thoughts and try to justify why they're inappropriate. To Try to justify why you shouldn't be thinking them. And the real response would be, no, just stop thinking of it. Be plenty of time tomorrow. <laughs> focus on the positive. Exactly. There's there's always there's always uh, sufficient time to to focus on the negative. Um, if we have a moment of inspiration, let's ride with it. Take advantage. Allow ourselves to be present and to experience it to the max. <clears throat> We have these thoughts that come up. Am I really deserving of this inspiration? Am I that good of a person? There's things I shouldn't have done. At the, like, no, push it all away and just allow ourselves to experience the soul. Allow us ourselves to experience our relationship with God. 
Um, it, it, it's essentially being present. Being present in our relationships. Yes, there's parts of us that are less than perfect. Who cares? Right now I'm focusing on the part of me that isn't less than perfect. <laughs> on the part of me that that, that is uh, pure and pristine. And right now that's what's real. That's what matters. I think the more we focus on that, you know, a little bit of light pushes away a lot of dark and it becomes more prevalent, more of a, a permanent part of our lives. The more we celebrate it, the more we choose to focus on that. But it is an exercise because our net, our, we're kind of born into the animal soul. You know, kind of like we described in, in chapter 29, am I a body that experiences a soul? Or am I a soul that happens to be in the body? And we're kind of born into the perspective that we're a body that happens to experience a soul. And when we experience that soul, the assumption is, okay, it's obviously not the real me. Because that's not what I'm doing most of the time. That's not what I'm living with most of the time. That's not most of my time spent. It's not soul activity, but it's body activity. And the Al-Tarebbe says, doesn't try to argue with that. Doesn't try to disprove that. No. Don't even think about that. Allow yourself to experience the soul in the moment. Because that's what's there. Reminds me of yoga for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> yoga. I don't know. Being present and bringing the moment. <laughs> I don't know why that came to mind. <laughs> It's, it's like we have to become professional Jews and not amateur Jews. <laughs> Always look at you as the professional Jew. We all have to become professional Jews. You know, we, we, all, we all are professionals. We are. Uh, I mean, deep down inside, we all have that part of us that it, this is very real to us. This is very important to us. Um, you know, with 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 practice, we we develop it even more. Now, one may argue that I'm not ready for this inspiration. Allow me to first work on myself. Allow me to first. Um, refine myself, allow me to first um, learn more about Judaism before I can experience it. I'm not ready for this experience. And the Altar Rebbe says, if you wait till you're ready, it's not going to happen. Don't wait till you're ready. <laughs> Just allow yourself to experience it. And he brings an analogy or, or a parallel from the, from the Torah. When the Jews left Egypt, It says, this is on the, the bottom of 357, the third to last bold paragraph. Uh, concerning the Exodus, scripture states that after requesting from Pharaoh to be released for just three days, the people fled and escaped permanently. They fled Egypt. And the question that's asked is, God brought upon Pharaoh ten plagues, the last of which slaying the firstborn. Pharaoh didn't have a choice. He was letting them go. 
For what reason did they need to flee? Why can't they just leave? Leave with dignity. Leave um, with a victorious attitude. Why flee as if you're uh, you're rushing to? We need to be, you know. What's with the fleeing? It didn't seem necessary. And the Al Tarebbe answers because they weren't ready to leave. They had to just run out of there. They had to jump into redemption because they weren't ready for it. They were not in that emotional state of mind to 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 live a life of freedom. They were so used to oppression. Allow me to slowly integrate myself into freedom. No, don't fall for that trap, says the Al-Tarebbe. Freedom is waiting for you. Grab it, go for it, just flee, even if we're not ready. It says that when Mashiach comes, um, this is on the bottom of 358, all the way on the bottom, the last paragraph. Therefore, this stands in contrast to the future era when God will remove the spirit of impurity from the earth, eliminating the Sitra Achra, the Klippa, and avoiding the need to flee from it. And about this future time when Mashiach comes, the verse states, you will not go out in haste, nor go by flight, for God will go for you uh, before you, etc. When Mashiach comes, we're actually going to be ready. But while we're leaving our own personal Egypt, we're not necessarily ready. Which means it might be a fleeting experience. It might be momentous. Is that a word? It's not a make up. It might just be momentous. Does it mean what I think it means? <laughs> it might just be in that moment. Don't let that thought, let's not let that thought distract us. Let's allow ourselves to experience it nonetheless. There was a famous chassid, Rabbi Reuven Dunim, of, um, know how long ago he passed away. Not that long ago. Maybe within the past couple of decades. Rabbi Reuven Dunim was a character. Um, had a big journey in life. Been around the block. Several times and back. Lived in Israel. And eventually served as, uh, as a mentor in the Chabad Yeshiva. One of the Chabad Yeshivas in Israel. Reuven Dunim had a period in time where in life where he kind of did his own thing as far as Judaism was concerned and had you know had enough and did teshuva he came back he had a very strong animal soul um very heated person and he had a a meeting with the rabbi and at one point in the meeting he told the rabbi i can't do it anymore my evil inclination is just too strong. I can't refrain. This is just too much tension. The Rebbe told him, sometimes you need to grab the Yetzir Hara, the evil inclination, by the neck. And just throw it down. In other words, sometimes it's appropriate not to get into dialogue. And justify, try to justify why what we're doing is appropriate and why it's okay for us to experience this inspiration 
and why it's real and to get into the dialogue with the animal soul. Sometimes it's appropriate to not get into the dialogue and just, like you said, Mike, just push it away. Reject it. I'm going to share my screen with you. Because there's a text that is, I find to be very relevant to this. Over here. Okay. We, can you see it? Yeah. Okay. We've um, we've seen we've shared this text in the past, but it's very relevant to to what we're saying here. This is an excerpt from a a different uh, a teaching from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He says there are two ways the godly soul toils in its interaction with the animal soul, because they're at constant battle, and there's two ways it can approach this battle with an antagonistic approach or a pleasant approach. What's the difference between the two? The antagonistic approach is based on reason and intellect, getting into a dialogue and debate with the animal soul and explaining to it that a life of godliness is in their best interest. Right In our context, trying to justify why our experience of the soul is acceptable. Since this is coming from a rational perspective, this leaves room for the animal soul to impose its view. And try to talk us out of this experience, telling us that this experience is not the real you. It's inconsistent with your light, right? All these different things that it tells us. So what's the better approach to take? Not the antagonistic approach, not to get into a dialogue with the animal soul, but the pleasant approach. Pleasant approach does not entail entering any dialogue or debate. Rather, he approaches the animal soul as, excuse my, the typos, with insistence, with a strong will and pleasure in a life of godliness because it cannot be any other way. This approach is generally done by increasing in positive action and increasing light without even leaving space for negativity and creep in the first place as they are irrelevant. How do we do? How do we? Uh... Practical examples. Well, it's kind of like when you get in a debate with somebody over whatever topic that you don't agree on. If you keep trying to argue with them, you you get nowhere. It's better just walk away basically yeah yeah it ter terminates with we agree to disagree exactly yeah. telling the animal soul let's agree to disagree this is what i'm experiencing i'm right now experiencing the divine soul you're trying to convince me that that's not me well too bad right how often do we feel compelled to do something positive be compelled to do something spiritual, to do something holy, to do something godly, to do a mitzvah, to learn Torah, to pray, whatever it is. And that animal soul creeps us behind us and says, this is not consistent with your lifestyle. You're a hypocrite. You don't need to do it. Be honest with yourself and don't go to synagogue. 
be honest with yourself. You don't have to eat kosher. Be honest with yourself, Shabbos. You know, you haven't been doing it till now. So why, why all of a sudden inconvenience yourself and everybody? You tell them, no, this is what I'm experiencing now. And this is true. This is real. You may argue it's momentous. And it's just in the moment. Too bad. <laughs> this is real. This is the truth. And I'm experiencing it now. We don't have to focus on the animal soul. We don't have to give it our attention. We can agree to disagree and just allow ourselves the full experience that we have in our relationship. I think this is positive. I think this is a an important approach in, in inter, interpersonal relationships as well. External thoughts getting in the way. We don't have to um, accept those thoughts. Now there's another, the chapter concludes with another uh, positive meditation to uplift us. Besides the fact that when we focus on the soul, you know, let's focus on experiencing the positive and forget the fact that we have negative experiences. Um, that's kind of ignore the animal soul. There's a divine soul, and let's focus on that. But besides for that, you have to wonder what the purpose of the divine soul going through all this trouble is. You know, we describe the survival mode. <laughs> My divine soul is going through all this trouble. At least I'm experiencing it. At least I'm surviving as a Jew. I'm, at least I'm feeling it. But there has to be a better reason why the divine soul had to come into this physical world, why it had to come to Pleasanton or the Tri-Valley, why it had to come into our physical bodies, why it had to come into an environment where it's less than comfortable, when it was perfectly happy in heaven where it came from, God's divine abode. The purpose is, you know what the reason is? The same reason why a Chabad Shliach Goes, leaves its comfort zone in Crown Heights in 770 and moves to Timbuktu in the middle of nowhere to have an impact. Or Tracy. Or Tracy. <laughs> the divine soul comes down because we're all shluchim. Comes down to have an impact. An impact on ourselves, an impact on our communities, an impact on the world. So although the animal soul is giving pushback and saying this isn't real to you okay so like we said allow ourselves the full experience but besides for that remind ourselves our goal our purpose to ultimately elevate the animal soul by engaging it in this mitzvah not only am i going to allow myself the experience this divine experience this inspiration but I'm actually going to use that inspiration to power my observance of a mitzvah or the study of Torah or prayer or charity or something positive. So now, not only am I experiencing the inspiration, that inspiration is going to rub off on the animal soul. It's going to elevate the animal soul. So that part of us that is nagging at us, 
telling us that we're being disingenuous, disingenuine or disingenuous? The first one? Disingen disingenuous, okay. That part of the, the animal soul that's telling us we're being disingenuous is actually getting refined, getting clarity. Because if you think about it, you can't really do a mitzvah without your animal soul, because that's your physical self, without your body. So when we take that inspiration and actually study Torah and actually pray and actually do a mitzvah and actually bring positivity, love, and warmth to the world, not only do we allow ourselves the inspiration despite the animal soul, we come back and elevate the animal soul, which is the ultimate purpose. And that's the ultimate joy. So uh, it's two steps. The animal soul is distracting me. Number one, I'm not allowing you to distract me. right? We're taking the pleasant approach, not the antagonistic approach. We're not going to get into dialogue with the animal soul. Number two, not only are you not going to distract me, but you're going to be elevated. <laughs> not only am I going to not fight with the animal, I'm going to ride the animal. Because when I ride the animal rather than fight with it, I get to where I need to go with much more passion, but I get there much quicker. Questions, thoughts, comments? I like that. Proceed. I like the idea of uh, even if it's moment, even if it's just a, a moment, uh, transforming uh, even temporarily the animal soul to, uh, to help us uh, with our uh, mitzvah or whatever. Uh, divine soul thing we're doing. I like that idea. L'chaim. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, that, that, that's what it's all about. Bottom line, you know, if you look in the beginning of Tanya, when we first introduced the two souls, when we first got into this whole inner exploration of ourselves, the al introduced the animal soul before he introduced the divine soul. And you have to wonder why. The divine soul is a part and parcel with God. It really is the one that's on the mission. Why is the, divine, why is the animal soul given uh, precedence in the order to which it's introduced? If I had to guess... Um... Because I do have to guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I would I would say because uh, our our body is born, our, our physical body is born of the earth. After which God breathes His soul into our nostrils. Okay, good, good. I like that. Which means practically, what is the perspective most of us have? The animal soul perspective, the physical perspective. And the divine soul comes down, not for itself. It doesn't need to be in this world. It already experiences God um, and meaning and purpose, uh, meaning in, in, you know, where it came from. But it's here on a mission to refine the animal soul. The animal soul is the purpose, not the divine soul. 
Ultimately, it's the animal's divine soul is not about, it's not meant to just experience inspiration. It's supposed to do something with that inspiration. And that's why the, the animal soul is given precedence. It's mentioned first, because that's really what it centers around. In context of our chapter, allowing ourselves to experience that inspiration as our true selves. And using that inspiration to physically do a mitzvah, learn Torah, pray or do something good, which engages the animal soul, the ultimate goal, the ultimate purpose. Bringing God to the lowest of realms, as we'll talk about later. So, so this entire conversation uh, makes me really wish that the manuscript had not burned in the home of the Rebbe regarding the uh, flight is not the right word, the, the, the path of the tzaddik, right? right. Because there, in in the context of the tzaddik, this is not about, uh, well, of the complete tzaddik. It's not about uh, transforming the animal soul, right? Uh, it's not about uh, uh, using the divine soul to help with our animal soul issues. Uh, I, I I I would have been really curious to like understand this conversation in terms of a, of a complete of a complete sadik yeah. yeah it's interesting because it doesn't have <laughs> you know the complete sadik has to deal with our animal souls has to deal with the world it has to elevate not itself but its surroundings true um but surroundings um, within itself, so, so to speak. I mean, it, it does have its animal soul, but it's completely transformed, so it's no longer having to fight that, that particular battle, right? right. Now, and to understand where free choice, it would be interesting, because where does free will come into this? How could it choose to, right? It would be an interesting... It would be an interesting uh, a study, but I guess it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. All right. Good story. <laughs>